and they're, they're both new, and they're both doing a great job, so welcome them to our, to our staff. If you were hoping for a good pat on the back, feel-good message today, sorry, we're in Ecclesiastes, um, and that's just kind of where it's at. Before we jump into that passage, let me do a couple of quick announcements. You may have noticed a Connect card uh, in the seat pockets. We put these back in for the first time uh, since COVID, so that's a big step. Um, we'd love to have you fill this out. Let us know you were here, especially if you're a guest. Um, and then on the back of that is a place where people can submit prayer requests or you can share a testimony or a praise that God has done in your life. Um, we love to pray for you. And so if you want to fill out a prayer request, we will be praying specifically for you. You can just drop the card in the black offering box on your way out the door there. Also, um, July 4th, we're having an all-church potluck picnic after this service. Yeah, um, So that'll be fun. Plan to come uh, stick around a little bit longer that Sunday. And on July 18th, we're having a baptism service. Um, there's a baptism class on July 4th. So if you're interested in getting baptized, you haven't been baptized since you've chosen to follow Christ, uh, we'd love to dunk you. And uh, if you'd like more information about that, you can talk to me. You can fill out a form on the app. You can put it in the Connect card, uh, whatever, and we will be reaching out to you. I think, I think that's all the announcements. Um, my name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors. Welcome to Lakeview. I'm glad to open God's Word with you today. Let's jump into that passage in Ecclesiastes. You know, my dad, when I was a kid, my dad used to say to me, you're not the biggest fish in the pond. And by that, what he would mean is, he would say, you know, you might be smart, but you're not the smartest person. There's always someone who will be smarter than you. No matter how fast you can run, there's always someone who can run faster than you. No matter how strong you are and no matter how much weight you can lift, there's always someone who's stronger than you. You're not the biggest fish in the pond. And even if you feel like a big fish, remember this, it's easy to be a big fish in a little pond. Go jump in a lake and you're going to meet some bigger fish. Now, uh, some parents today might think, oh, I'm so sorry you had to endure such child abuse uh, as a kid. But actually, his advice was really good. Because what he taught me was, you're not the most important person in the room. The, the world does not revolve around you. You're not the center of the universe. Life is not all about you. You're not the biggest fish in the pond. And that's really good advice. And it actually goes completely opposite to the prevailing wisdom in our society today. In our society today, the prevailing wisdom says, no, actually, life is all about you. It is completely about you. It is 100% about you. Whatever you feel, whatever you think, whatever you see, however you see yourself, whatever matters in life is what matters to you. The meaning in life, according to the world today, is about you being all that you can be, you getting all that you can get, you having all that you can have, you doing everything that you want to do. It's all about actualizing yourself. That's what, that's what the world tells us is the meaning and the sole purpose of life. If it looks good, try it. If it smells good, put it on your body, unless it's Axe body spray. And I know that because we just took uh, a whole bunch of middle schoolers and, and youth group kids to Devil's Lake on Friday. And I can attest from personal experience that Axe body spray is not a shower in a can. <laughs> right? The world says life is all about you. 
You get what you want, you do what you want, you actualize yourself, whatever you do, whatever feels good to you, that's what is good in life. But Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes that living like that is a fool's fantasy. That's actually not where the good life is found. And Solomon devoted himself to exploring all the different avenues of life, all the different paths that the world says, walk this path and you'll find happiness and meaning and purpose in life. Do this, be this way, and this is how life will have meaning for you. This is where happiness is found. And Solomon said, okay, I'm going to try everything and I'm going to see if I can find the good life. And he says, the wisdom of the world which was the wisdom of the world in his day 3,000 years ago, oh, today it's the same. We hear the world telling us the same things. And Solomon says, that's just a fool's fantasy. That's not where the good life is found. So as we're working through Ecclesiastes, especially in this first message uh, after the introduction, the, the main question for our series, which by the way, the, the artwork for this series was hand-drawn by one of our youth group kids, Carson Hoffman. So thanks, Carson, for your beautiful artwork on that. But anyway, the, the main idea of this series, the main question that I want us to wrestle with is what is the good life? If the prevailing wisdom of the world is not in alignment with God's word, what does God's word say is the good life? So in this passage, uh, Solomon really addresses this question. He's pursued every avenue and he's come up with some conclusions. And the, he begins by telling us what the good life is not. What the good life is not. And some of these principles, I will say, when I was first studying this passage this week, it seemed really obvious. And I said, Lord, do you, do you really want me to preach this? We already know all these things. And I had a thought come immediately, then why don't you live this way? Because we already know this stuff. There's nothing in the message today that you haven't already heard. But we don't live this way. We know these things are true, but we just don't apply them to our lives. Quite often that's the case. And I'm glad actually that the kids are upstairs with us this morning and not in Lakeview Kids because I think there's a lot of wisdom from God's word for them too as they are forming their view of life. So Solomon begins by telling us what the good life is not. And he says, first of all, the good life is not found in the pursuit of happiness. He says, I pursued everything. I looked in every avenue. I, I intended to search out and find the good life. And what did I find? That it was an unhappy business. Happiness is not found in the pursuit of happiness. In fact, happiness is one of those elusive things that you don't catch by chasing it. It's, it's so weird. We, we as Americans, uh, we have it ingrained in our DNA. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness but the pursuit of happiness does not lead to happiness. It's a fruitless chase. That's not what the good life is found. Look at verse 15 in chapter 1. Solomon says, What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. He says it's, it's pointless to try to take a crooked stick... I don't know if you can see this very well, but it's a crooked stick. He says it's pointless to try to take a crooked stick and make it straight. You can't do it. Or what's lacking cannot be counted. How many apples are there in this basket? We can't count them. Why? Because there aren't any. You can't count what you don't have. Solomon says, looking for happiness by pursuing happiness is as pointless as counting the invisible apples in an empty basket. It doesn't make any sense. 
that's not where the good life is found. Secondly, he goes on to say the good life is not found in being the smartest person in the room. It's not found in the pursuit of happiness. It's not found in being the smartest person in the room. Is there anything wrong with studying hard and learning? No, those are good things to do. But that's not the ultimate reason that we exist. That's not where the ultimate meaning in life is found. Look at what he says in verse 18. For in much wisdom is much, much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. There are some things that once you know them, you can't unknow them. And you wish you had never learned them. Friday uh, at Devil's Lake with the youth group, we had hot dogs for lunch. And one of the kids said, do you know how hot dogs are made? And I said, no, and don't tell me. I just want to eat a hot dog. I'm hungry, right? If I know how they're made, then I'm not going to be able to eat them. The more you know, the more you're responsible for. Apply yourself, work hard, use the brains that God has given you, but don't think that the ultimate purpose in life is being the smartest person in the room because the more you know, the more you're responsible for. Sometimes ignorance is bliss, Solomon is saying. The good life is not found, uh, number three, in getting the most stuff and having the most fun. Contrary to what all the commercials on TV, Netflix, whatever you guys watch these days, contrary to all those commercials, it's not true. Getting the most stuff and having the most fun does not lead to the best life possible. Solomon knows this from firsthand experience. Solomon had everything that he could ever imagine. Look at the first part of chapter 2. He did everything. He, he, was, he had more silver and more gold than any of the other kings that had come before him. He, had, uh, he built parks. He planted gardens and orchards. He had palaces and houses all over the world. He had everything that he could ever want. He had servants. He had slaves. He had horses. He had sheep. He had goats. He had flocks. He had everything. He had chariots. He had armies. He had a band on standby. I want to have a party at 2 a.m. Tune up your instruments. Let's go. It's time to go and party and have fun. He had everything that he could have ever imagined. He even says, anything that my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Whatever I wanted, I got. And look what he says in verse 11 of chapter 2. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained. Under the sun. How does someone who literally has everything say, I have gained nothing? Basically, what he's saying is, I have everything, but I feel like I don't have anything. See, happiness is not found in getting the most stuff and having the most fun because the truth is, the more you have, the more you want. That's just the reality of life. And if we think that happiness and meaning and purpose and the good life is found in having the most stuff, we'll never be happy because it's never enough. Solomon goes on to say the good life, it's not found in the pursuit of happiness. It's not found in being the smartest person in the room. It's not found in getting the most stuff and having the most fun. Number four, it's not found in following the rules better than everyone else. See, in the first part of chapter two, Solomon lived the party life. And he said, I, I didn't find meaning and purpose and significance and happiness there. So I'm going to switch gears and live the prude life. 
Instead of being a rule breaker, I'm going to be a rule keeper. Maybe the good life is found in following the rules better than everyone else. And what was his conclusion? He did find that there is more wisdom in living wisely than in not living wisely. Look at verse 13 of chapter 2. He says, Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. It, It is better to live according to God's plan. At least you can see where you're going, but ultimately following all the rules better than everyone else isn't where the meaning in life is found. Because he goes on to say, yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. How the wise dies just like the fool. See, the, the, the truth is no matter how good you are at keeping all the rules, none of us is good enough to escape death. Death finds the partier just like death finds the the kid sitting at home by himself at night. Death finds the rule breaker just like death finds the rule keeper. It's wise. There's benefit to living according to God's plan and we should do that. But following the rules isn't ultimately the point. And it never has been. It's not the good life. Lastly, Solomon says the good life is not found in having a successful career. That's not, that's not the ultimate meaning and purpose of life. There towards the end of chapter 2 in, in verse 18, he says, I, I hated all the work that I did. Why? Because I have toiled all this toil under the sun and then the one who, becomes, who comes after me might be a fool. You could spend your whole life building this massive career and then you retire and the person who replaces you is a fool who runs the whole thing into the ground. What's the gain in that? Is that the good life? He goes on to say, uh, sometimes a person works really hard and and then leaves all the fruit of their labor to someone else so that someone who didn't work for it gets all the enjoyment and pleasure out of it. I spend my days slaving and toiling away and, and amassing this thing and building this kingdom and then I die and somebody else comes after me and they enjoy all the good things that I worked so hard for. Solomon says that's vanity and also a great evil. Right? That's not the meaning of life. That's not the purpose of life. Or he says, what has a man, in verse 22, what has a man uh, from all the toil and striving of heart which with he toils beneath the sun? What gain is it, he's saying, for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. You work so hard and you invest so much in your career and you're stressed out about it all day at work and then you go home and you lie awake in your bed at night because you're stressed out about your job. Boy, aren't you glad that you invested your whole life building this career and got an ulcer? That's the good life, right? That's what he's saying. The good life is not found in the pursuit of happiness or being the smartest person in the room, or getting the most stuff, or having the most fun, or following the rules better than everyone else, or having a successful career. That's not what the good life is made up of. Now, we know all these things, but quite honestly, we don't really live this way. We've all heard these things from, uh, in school programs and, and different things from the time we were kids, but we don't really live this way. It, it's just nice things to say, but our culture doesn't value these things. But Solomon says this is not where the good life is found. Now, in these five things, what is the thread that ties them all together? It's self. 
itself. Whether it's self-indulgence or self-promotion or self-improvement or self-advancement, the thread that ties all of this together is self. The point that Solomon is making is the good life is not found in living for self. The more you live for yourself, the further away you get from the good life. A culture says exactly the opposite of this truth. But the point is that you are not the point. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, whoever would be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. In our society today, telling someone to deny themselves is about the most sacrilegious, blasphemous thing you can tell them to do. What? Deny yourself? No, we're supposed to worship self. The universe revolves around self. Life and the meaning of life is in self-actualization. It's itself. That's what it all is. I think that self is one of the biggest idols in our world today. And that's one of the biggest problems in our world today. If the universe revolves around me, if I'm the point of life and, and I'm the center of the universe, then we live in a pretty small and pathetic universe. Because there's got to be something bigger than me out there. There's got to be some greater meaning than me getting another toy, than me getting a new iPhone, than me getting the new Apple Watch, than me having another fun experience. If that's all that life is, it's no wonder that depression is at an all-time high, that mental illness is at an all-time high, that drug abuse is at an all-time high, that suicide rates are at an all-time high, that domestic violence is at an all-time high, that divorce rates are at an all-time high. Why are these things at an all-time high? Because the wisdom of the world doesn't work. It doesn't lead to the good life. Solomon says living for self is nothing but a fool's fantasy. And we see that played out around us everywhere today. Just spend five minutes scanning the latest headlines and you will see fool's fantasy all over the news. That's where the world is living for self. It's not the point. The good life is not found in living for self. So what is the good life? Solomon concludes chapter 2 by telling us what, where the good life is found. And he says basically this, the good life is found in being content with God and what he chooses to give you. That is the meaning and the purpose of life. He says, verse 24, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with, with having a lot of stuff. There's nothing wrong with, with applying yourself in school and getting a great education. There's nothing wrong with chasing a good career and building something meaningful in life. But none of those things are the ultimate meaning and purpose in life. Ultimately, the good life is found in being content with God and whatever God chooses to give you. Maybe God's path for you isn't to be the next CEO of your company. Maybe God's path for you isn't to have a million dollars by the age of 30. Maybe God's path for you isn't 
to be a world-famous YouTuber with hundreds of thousands of followers. Right? Maybe that's not God's path for you. Maybe God's path for you isn't to be the next president of the United States or to be a professional baseball player. But that's okay. Because if you have Jesus, you have everything. You have all that you need. Can we be content with whatever path God has called for us to walk, knowing that God walks that path with us every step of the way? That is the good life. So how do we cultivate that contentment? How, how do we build that contentment in our hearts for God? The first thing we need to do is pray every day for the contentment to be satisfied with your daily bread. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, give me this day our daily bread. He got that from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. This is the contentment prayer. It's a very powerful prayer. Proverbs 30, 7 through 9 says, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. How many times have we prayed that at bedtime? Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. I don't know anybody that prays that way. I don't. I'll be honest. Very rarely do I turn to Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9, and pray that prayer. But that's the start of cultivating contentment with God, to depend on him only for your daily bread. And whatever he chooses to give you, be satisfied with that. If he chooses to bless you with an abundance of material possessions, thank him and then turn around and bless others. And if he chooses to give you a a meager or average life, thank him and be dependent on him daily. Either way, we depend on God for our daily bread. Another way that we cultivate contentment is by being thankful. See, gratitude is the antidote for discontentment. It's about thankfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. A lot of people say, how do I know what God's will for me is? Here it is, right here. The will of God in Christ Jesus for you is to give thanks in some circumstances. Is that what it says? God's will for you is to give thanks in those circumstances that have an immediate benefit for you in this life. No. God's will for you is to give thanks in all circumstances. Why would the Bible teach us to give thanks in all circumstances? Because a thankful heart is a happy heart. See, the truth is happiness follows gratitude. Not the other way around. The world says, no, no, you make me happy first. Give me something that will make me happy. Say something to me that will make me happy. Take me somewhere that will make me happy. And then if it makes me happy enough, I might remember to say thank you. That's the way our society lives. But the Bible teaches us to be thankful first. It starts with a, hap- with a heart of gratitude. And when you find that you're thankful first, you also discover that you're happy. Because a thankful heart is a happy heart. Happiness follows gratitude. The good life is found in being content with God and whatever he chooses to give you. Praying daily for your daily bread and being thankful that God has given you himself. 
and everything else is icing on the cake. Here's the thing. You can't be content with what you don't have. If we're supposed to be content with God, the question is, do you have God? Is God in your life? Is he part of your life? Is he the foundation of your life? Is he the core of your being? We can't be content with what we don't have. Do you have God in your life? If you want him in your life, you have to give up yourself. It's not enough to believe that the stories in the Bible are true and do some Christian-like things every now and again. That's not what it means to follow Christ and to have him in your life. The way to have God in your life is to give up yourself. It is a transfer of loyalty and allegiance. I don't live for myself anymore. I am transferring my allegiance to Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Jesus is King. I live for him now. When you cross that line, then you become a born-again believer in Christ. You receive the Holy Spirit, and you have God with you every step of your journey. Then you can be content with God and everything else that he gives. You must give up yourself But when you do that, God gives you a new life as a citizen in his kingdom, as a member of his family, a son or a daughter in his household, and that new life that he gives you is the good life. Let me pray, and then we'll break out into gospel communities. Father, I thank you for the wisdom that you inspired through the pen of Solomon uh, to write this book of Ecclesiastes thousands of years ago, and yet so incredibly relevant to today. The things that society tells us are meaningful and good are the same things that people thought thousands of years ago. But just like it was a fool's fantasy back then, it's a fool's fantasy today. Would you give us the wisdom to see that? And would you, uh, would you call us to surrender our lives to you, to walk in step with you, and in so doing, living as part of your kingdom, we would be living the good life. Would you bless us with your presence as we go into prayer together in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna conclude our service today with gospel community prayer. So some, if you wanna stay in the sanctuary here and pray, you can. You can also go to the fireside room and pray or downstairs, follow the stairways down and uh, around the hall to the end of the hall, room 112. Gospel community prayer is just an opportunity for us to gather and pray for one another. And so we'd love to pray with you, for you, Uh, We'll see you down there in a few minutes. Thank you.